Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God which engages us is the last two verses of our epistle lesson for today, where we read in Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18, Therefore he had to become like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thus far the text. Dear friends in Christ, I know just how you feel. Perhaps someone spoke those words to you at a time of particular calamity or crisis in your life. They were trying to be empathetic. They were trying to be compassionate toward you. And perhaps you just politely smiled and said, thank you. But deep down in your heart, you were thinking, you have no idea how I am feeling. For you see, it is only someone who has experienced something themselves that knows how that experience feels. For example, it's only someone who has been told they have cancer that knows what it feels like to be told you have cancer. It's only someone who has been laid off from their work that knows exactly what it feels like to be laid off at work. And it's only someone who has lost a spouse to death who knows what it is like to lose a spouse to death. But then on the positive side, when we do have a calamity, when we do have a tragedy in our life, it can be helpful, it can be encouraging to talk with someone who has gone through the exact same thing. Someone who knows exactly what it feels like. And that is the positive news in our epistle lesson for today. That Jesus, our Savior, our great high priest, knows exactly what it feels like to be tempted to sin. And let's face it, to be in this world is to be tempted to sin. Ever since the first sin by Adam and Eve, our first parents in the garden, sin has totally corrupted and permeated all of God's creation. Temptations, enticements, to do those things that God's Word clearly identifies as displeasing in His sight abound everywhere. For example, they can be found neatly packaged up in a bottle. They can be found at our fingertips online. They can be found in the deep recesses of our minds unknown to other people. And just like he did with our first parents in the Garden of Eden, Satan will come and will attempt to ask if, in fact, something that really has been identified in God's Word as being displeasing to God is really all that bad after all. And Satan will find an area of weakness. He will find an area of vulnerability and he will attempt to exploit it time and time and time again. 
And sadly, we know from firsthand experience how willing that old sinful nature that we still carry around us with us is so happy to comply. I want to say very clearly right here that being tempted to sin is not sin. It's only when we give into that temptation, when we act on that temptation, when we succumb to that temptation that we have sinned. And the good news again is that Jesus, our Savior, is able to help us when we are tempted. He knows exactly what it feels like to be tempted to sin. He can empathize. He can sympathize with us as one who has been tempted to sin. Normally, when we think of the temptation of Jesus, we think of that formal temptation that took place out in the wilderness. The temptation that occurred immediately after he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. The scriptures testify that the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness in order to be tempted by Satan. And tempted he was to turn rocks into bread for himself, to cast himself off a high building in order to see, in order to test whether God would indeed protect him and keep him safe, and also tempted to fall down and worship Satan in exchange for the kingdoms of the world. He successfully withstood all of those temptations, citing the word of God correctly interpreted as his defense. But there were other times when Satan tempted Jesus even using other people indirectly to do so. Not only tempting him to sin, but especially attempting to have him not go to the cross, to skip the anguish and the suffering of the cross, to abandon the very reason that Jesus came to this earth in the first place. There was, for example, the time when Jesus fed 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children which is five loaves of bread and two fish. And John records that after that miracle, the people came and wanted to make him their king. No doubt, wanting a king like him who could provide food, prosperity, and wealth for all. But you see, there was the temptation. Set yourself up here as an earthly ruler, an earthly king. Forget about that cross. But Jesus would not be derailed from the reason he came to this earth, the destination of the cross. Or you'll remember the time Jesus told his disciples, the Son of Man must go up to Jerusalem and be handed over to the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and be killed and rise again on the third day. And remember Peter? No, Lord, this shall never happen to you. At which Jesus responded, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you have in mind not the things of God, but the things of man. And then finally, as Jesus hung there on the cross, Satan spoke through the mouths of the crowds that were mocking him and jeering him. If he is the Christ, let him come down now, and we will believe. If he saved others, why can he not save himself? In these and many other ways, Satan tempted Jesus, not only to sin, 
but to forget about the cross, to skip the anguish and the suffering, to abandon the very reason that he came to this earth. And it's because of that that our Savior knows exactly what it feels like to be tempted to sin. And he is there to help us in our sin. What a wonderful Savior we have who is both man and God. Not 50% man and 50% God, but in a way that we cannot understand, fully 100% man and fully 100% God. He is fully man. And as we confess in the Creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and thus conceived and born without original sin. But he had to be man. He had to be human so that he could take our place under God's law. He had to be human. He had to be man so that he could die. But he also had to be God so that he could accomplish what no mere mortal could accomplish, living a perfect, sinless, righteous, innocent, and blameless life. He had to be God so that he could defeat sin, death, the grave, and Satan for us, and that's exactly what he did on the cross, with the result that now all of our sins are wiped away, even those times when we succumb to the temptation around us. Perhaps you didn't realize it, but a couple weeks ago, there was a very significant day for millions of people around the world. From sundown on Wednesday, September 15, to sundown on Thursday, September 16, was the Day of Atonement, or the Yom Kippur, for Jews around the world. The Day of Atonement goes all the way back in the Old Testament to Leviticus chapter 16, where God commanded that on the Day of Atonement each year, the high priest and the high priest alone would go in back of that veil, that curtain, that separated the holy place from the most holy place in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, and would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant in that most holy place. That was the annual payment that God prescribed for the sins of the people. And year after year after year, that annual Day of Atonement pointed forward to the Day of Atonement, the ultimate Day of Atonement, the once and for all Day of Atonement, Good Friday, where Christ made the once and for all payment for sin. As our great high priest on that day, he not only offered the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. And no further offering, no further sacrifice is needed. How appropriate it was that on Good Friday, that same curtain, that same veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two from top to bottom. For there would be no more sacrificial blood and no more offering needed. Christ had paid it all. And Jesus Christ, 
Not only was our perfect high priest some 2,000 years ago making that sacrifice, but he still is our perfect high priest even now. For Scripture records how he ascended and is now seated at the right hand of God, the place of power and glory and authority over all creation. And what is he doing there? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that he is interceding for us. He is pleading our case on a daily basis before the Father. What a wonderful high priest we have who is like us in so many ways. He walked this earth, and as a result, he knows what it is to hunger and to thirst. He knows what it is to be betrayed, to be left behind, to be mocked. He knows what it is to grieve and to weep at the funeral of a good friend. And he knows what it is to be tempted to sin in every way as we are, yet without sin. And what a wonderful high priest who is unlike us in so many wonderful ways. He is the all-knowing God who knows us better than we know ourselves. He is the all-powerful God who is able to help us at all times, no matter where we are. And he is love and loves us with an everlasting love, the same love that moved him to offer himself as a sacrifice for us. He is a wonderful high priest, like us in so many ways and unlike us in so many wonderful ways. For us, he is the perfect high priest. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in this one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.